Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. This episode was originally recorded as a weekly live in the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition group on Facebook. If you'd like to join these lives, watch past replays, or get any of the written summaries I do for these weekly, please head to the link in the show notes, drop me a comment, and I'm happy to help you out. Now, let's get on with the episode. All right, we are live. Today, we're going to be talking about hills. And hills are one of the big things that can really hit you when you're getting into trails, even if you're a fairly experienced runner, right? Like people complain about the hilliness, or at least address it, the hilliness of the Boston Marathon, and it's not even in the same ballpark. Right, like we hear, we'll hear about Heartbreak Hill, and I can tell that has something like 200 to 300 feet of elevation gain over the course of like six-ish miles, which for a road marathon is heavy, right? Like especially when you're pushing almost at lactate threshold for that long. But even a flat race, flat, like the JFK 50, has like 1,200 feet of elevation gain in the first five. And hills are, so hills are a huge part of why trail running can be so different from the road. And if you want to get better at trail running, then we have to get better at hills. So how do we do that? There are probably, I mean, I know for a fact, there are a lot of ways to answer this question, but one of the like short and simple is to improve running economy. And running economy is basically how efficient are you at running? There are a lot of factors that go into running economy, from metabolism to our cardiovascular system to running form to like our neuromuscular connection, how our brain talks to our muscles. And if we improve any of that, we're going to improve running economy. So if we improve our fitness, we're going to improve our hills. If we improve our running form, we're going to improve our hills. And to be clear, um, I just said this somewhere else today, running form is very particular to you. We can make some generalizations, like if you're overstriding, if you're reaching very far out in front of you, then you might need to address that. But if there are no problems with your form, probably isn't going to be a, the end-all be-all for you. Um, but running economy is really the key driver to heel improvement. And if we can improve our brain's connection to our muscles, that's another way to improve our running economy. And that is one of the last, that last one, our brain's connection to our muscles, our neuromuscular connection, is one way that we can see a lot of progress very quickly. Running hills is different than running flats. It prioritizes different muscles. So if we can improve our strength in those muscles or improve our connection to those muscles, we can make a lot of progress very quickly. And one way to do this, if you don't have like perfect access to hills, is just speed work. A lot of us know like the ultra shuffle, right? Um, moving really fairly slow, like proportional to what you could be doing, um, fairly short steps, you're not picking up your feet a whole lot. This is a great strategy when you're running 50 miles. It maximizes your efficiency at those slower paces when you're going that far but it doesn't have as much carryover to something like climbing or hills. Speed work, however, has a lot of carryover. 
When we look at our sprinting form, we have a bunch of knee drive, we have a lot of push off, we end up in what we call triple extension, so your hip and your knee and your ankle all flex out at the same time. And if we want to get better at hills, but we live in the flatlands, we can really prioritize that speed work, crush those intervals and get better at sprinting. And that can help quite a bit. So if we do a few rounds of like two to five minutes on, two to three minutes off, really push into it and find that leg drive, that will help. To be fair, anything over like 30 seconds isn't really a sprint, but the form is going to be a lot closer. So if we don't have a much experience with that fast work, the form is where we probably need to work. So watch someone like Usain Bolt race. It looks way different than someone like Kipchoge. And if we can learn to find that form and find that drive and put in the time on our speed work, a lot of that can carry over to hills because the improvement in running economy. We can also just run hills, right? Like this is definitely our best option. For whatever you're trying to train, the more specific you can be, the better. There is a specificity component to all training. So if you're able to get out there on the course that you'll be running, that's wonderful. But if you don't have access to that, then try to find a local trail that mimics your race, at least when it comes to grade. If your terrain's different, so be it. But try to find something that has some resemblance to the grade you'll be running in your race. And if that's not an option, you might need to get on a treadmill and use that for a little bit. Hell, even stairs would help to some degree because it's going to help with that knee drive. It's going to help with that turnover. But no matter what, this is going to require some research. Let's imagine two races. Race A, they both have a 6% grade over the course of like the entire race, right? So if we look at their average profile, their grade is 6% over the course of the race. Race A has a very consistent 6% grade. It has a lot of rolling hills. You're going to see a lot of changes like very consistently throughout. Race B is very flat and then has a few brutal climbs, like 20%. We should not train the same for those two races, even though their average grade is the same. They're not the same race. So we need to figure out what we're training for and try to mimic that as much as we can. To be clear, like we do not need to run all of your hills either. In fact, unless you are an incredibly high level athlete, you really shouldn't. We should spend some time hiking. Hiking uphill and running are somewhat different activities. They're definitely in the same ballpark. It's not like we're comparing like basketball to curling, but they are different. So if you expect to hike during your race, then we should spend some time improving our hiking ability. And one of the fastest ways to improve your race time is actually to improve our bottom speed. Just like if we get a lot better at walking, we'll improve our overall race performance. It is same with hiking. It takes a lot of effort to eke out it's like extra few seconds per mile at our top speed. But most people can get a lot faster at hiking and walking with comparatively little effort. So if you expect to hike, then we should do that in our training. Some coaches, um, Ian Sharman famously, will recommend that you hike with a weight vest, partially as a form of muscular training, partially just to put more stress on the system. I personally have mixed feelings about this. For the experienced hiker, I think it's great. For someone without a lot of experience, I don't think it's as advisable, right? So like carrying weight on your back changes your movement patterns. So 
If you're just starting out and trying to develop the skill, we shouldn't make it a whole lot harder. We shouldn't like have a risk of creating this hunched posture that puts us forward at the waist and doesn't create a great form for either hiking or running. However, if you are already pretty good at hiking, if you have good posture, if you know what you're doing, adding some weighting hiking or rucking could be incredibly helpful. Like we actually see some pretty high level ultra athletes who come from the distance hiking world. We'll see that crossover because they're very good at hiking. They're good at putting in those long miles and that can be really helpful. So be honest with yourself about where you are in your journey and adapt that to your training. When it comes to hills, like as I said earlier, you can make a lot of progress very quickly because so much of it is skill and neuromuscular connection. If you already have a fairly high level of fitness, then the biggest suffering on hills likely comes from a lack of skill. Some of it could be strength, we could have a few factors, but the skill component is huge. So if you're, if you're not very fit, I bet we still have a lot of work to do when it comes to the skill development. But no matter where you are, you can see like incredible improvements on hills in the span of a f even like a few weeks as your muscles start to connect with what you're doing and find that form and find that drive. We can also look a little bit at hill pacing. So some people, like myself included, use a heart rate monitor to gain some insight into pacing. And this works quite well on flat ground, right? But hills really can throw a wrench in the gears. If you've ever done or a triathlon or looked into doing one, you might know that you will have different pacing and effort zones for the different sports, right? Like your easy heart rate zone on the bike is not necessarily the same as your easy heart rate zone on the run. And we can have the same type of issue when it comes to running on flats and running on hills. It's not as, too much, not to as much of a degree, but they've shown that lactate threshold and aerobic threshold can vary quite a bit whether we're running on flats versus like working on hills. Now, if you're running at a heart rate of 175, that's not your easy zone, it's just not. And if you're running at a heart rate of 100, then we could probably, then we could push harder. But when we're looking at the difference between something like 140 and 150, it's really tough to say. And it's gonna be grade dependent, like the amount of effort we're putting in or type of effort at like a 20% grade will be different than a 10% then flat, right? So like we could get a few zones if we want, or we could also learn to go by feel. We could do some mix of the two. There is no like single way, but just keep in mind that hills throw a wrench into the gears when we're using all of these tools. And that's what they are, they're tools. They're not the be all end all. The heart rate monitors and the power meters and the whoop bands and the, the aura rings, they can provide really valuable data, but they are not, they don't know anything, right? Like they provide you data that can guide you through your training, but you still have to be in touch with your body, know where you are and see what that data might actually mean. One other thing we can really do to improve at hills is strength work. And <clears throat> while all strength work could theoretically help with hills, some of the more important stuff might not exactly look like how you think. Let me pause this one moment. Um, Matt just asked, do the heart rate zone shift up or down when encountering hills? So 
from what I understand, they tend to shift up a little bit. Um, not completely clear to me, but from what I understand, I, I think it probably is athlete dependent, but from what I've seen, it would seem that they shift up a little bit. Yeah, let's get back to strength work. So we can improve hills through strength work, but it might not look exactly like what you'd think, right? Like climbing hills is rough on your quads. It really utilizes your glute max when you drive with that quad, drive with your gluteus maximus. But so like heavy single leg squats and step ups and split squats and lunges can definitely help with hills. But those muscles are often not the big limiter for people. There's often these smaller muscles that work as kind of a supporting structure or some kind of driver and they function as a limiter when it comes to hills. A lot of people burn out in the calves, especially when they're new to running or running hills. So most runners should do some calf raises. And they should probably do them with quite a bit of weight. Most of your calves are pretty strong. So if we can, we should weight our calf raises. And you should probably do a couple versions. Seated might help. Standing would be even better most of the time because when you're driving up that hill, most of the time your leg is in that extended position. So while a seated calf raise would definitely be helpful, a standing heavy calf raise probably help you even more. Another muscle that tends to really cause issues is your tibialis anterior. This is the muscle that is right on the front of your shin. And the tib anterior is hugely important for running in general and jumping and all sorts of sports. But it is especially important for like climbing and descending. So if we're not doing anything to strengthen that muscle, it is very likely that it will act as a like big limiting factor when it comes to climbing. And they've shown this in tests. So they've shown like figured out what pacing um, strategies people use for hills, where running efficiency fails, and then why <laughs> those things don't seem to match. Because a lot of the time people's like efficiency crossover is not the same as like when they would prefer to stop running uphill. And they've noticed that some of these smaller muscles like the tib anterior is your big limiting factor. So if we can get stronger down there, that can help quite a bit. You need to find your like individual limiting factor, go from there and like work to build up that deficiency. For some people, it might be mobility. For others, it might be like rotational work. You might not have the like oblique support to work as we go across a like weird off camber trail uphill, but getting stronger will definitely help you run hills better, but it might be a little more involved than just doing more squats. Finally, let's talk a little bit about downhill. A lot of people don't quite appreciate how much of a killer downhills are. Part of this is because like you have gravity to help you, so it might feel a lot easier in some ways, but when it comes to muscle damage, running downhill is way harder on your muscles than running uphill. If we wanna dive into this, we should look into like eccentric muscle contractions, but the for short version is like downhills tear your muscles apart and running them badly does this even more. So the biggest factor <coughs> in downhill running is gonna be skill oriented. Again, if you can keep your feet under you and let gravity do a lot of the work, you're going to minimize this muscle damage. We can do this by keeping our center of gravity like very centered over our feet, taking short strides and having quick feet. What we're really trying to do is like minimize that braking force. If you are stopping, like putting a ton of, putting the brakes on every step you do downhill, that is this big stress on your muscles. So the less we can break and the more we can really keep moving, the 
less damage you're going to create. So how do we get better at that? Running downhills. So it's going to be practice, right? And there are a lot of different opinions on this topic. Some people will slowly have you move up to really bombing downhill. I actually just heard Ian Charman talk about doing this. Other coaches, um, famously Jason Coop, hate that idea. Personally, I think it's a great thing to develop as long as you are aware of the risks. Really pushing the downhills is high risk and high reward. You are much more likely to fall and get really hurt if you are bombing the downhills. So you need to be confident in what you're doing. Do not want to bomb downhills on like muddy, icy, slippery surfaces, especially if you're not doing it, if you're not used to it. Probably shouldn't do it anyway, but it's a really bad place to start. We want to stay just outside of our comfort zone, just like with most training, right? Like we need to push ourselves, but not so hard that we do a ton of lasting damage from which we really can't recover. Some other stuff we should do if we're going to work on downhills, you should probably know how to fall. This is a good thing you should probably know anyway. Like, I think falling is a life skill that most people should have. I've done a bunch of martial arts in the past. At some point, you will probably fall down, be it a trip or snowboarding or something. So knowing how to fall is a useful skill. You could take an intro-level jujitsu class. You could take a tumbling class. You could take a snowboarding lesson. But all of those things will teach you how to fall if you don't know how to do it well. If your first instinct on a fall is to reach out and catch yourself with your hands wide open, then you're very likely to either lacerate your hands or break your wrist. So we should learn how to fall well. We should also really get better at trail sighting, like seeing the trail. Running downhills isn't just physically demanding, it's also a lot of mental work. You need to know where your feet are landing. You also need to know, keep your eyes about 10 to 15 feet ahead of you. And we should really be constantly scanning back and forth. Like what, ro what rock, looks good, what rock looks loose, what looks really pointy, where might we need to like jump down a little bit. We need to keep our eyes ahead of us and make sure we're constantly surveying and like mentally mapping the terrain as we go. If you're new, go slower and we'll slowly pick up the pace. At the very least, like we should not be surprised about what's coming. I've lived in the mountains for a very long time and spent a lot of time on trails, like even before I got into running. And I'll often see people come to like abrupt stops on switchbacks, be it on a mountain bike or running, because they spent too much time like watching their feet or what's directly in front of them and not enough time like looking ahead to know what's coming. We need to be aware of our surroundings so we can like find that good line down a path. Now, if we don't have access to any of that, there are a few things you can do. None of it's going to be as good as actual practice or have as much crossover, but a lot of it comes down to quick feet. So a basic agility or balance work or any of that can really help. So like an agility ladder, some cone drills, um, balance work like alternating toe taps on a pad, they can all really support that agility and balance, and they will have a lot of crossover when it comes to the trails. Really, if you live in the flatlands and you can get to some sort of training camp, that's ideal. But that is far out of reach for most people. So something like a $15 agility ladder or some toe taps can take you pretty far with getting more sure on your feet. And finally, let's talk a little bit about like eating and hydrating on hills. For one, it's harder because you're typically working harder. So as heart rate elevates, um, you tend to have higher levels of lactate, tend to have less blood flow to your stomach. So you're going to have a bigger struggle 
when it comes to digestion. If you have any level of sensitivity when it comes to food during activity, then this could be a great time to like use some of the, those more like easily digestible carbs like maltodextrin or clusterdextrin or gels. But the big thing for a lot of people is just the jostling. If at all possible, I try to avoid having athletes take in too much of anything on steep downhills. It's very rare that like a super steep downhill lasts more than a couple miles. And there's just so much jostling if you're pounding down a hill that's like 20% grade downwards. And that can lead to a lot of discomfort and digestive distress. If your stomach is on the edge, adding a bunch of stuff to it and shaking it around like a bottle of Coke isn't gonna, is just not gonna help you. As it is, the jostling from running is one of the primary reasons it's harder to take in food on a run than it is on the bike. If we add a steep downhill to that, it's only gonna get worse. So we need to give ourselves a bit of a gap between intake and these like steep sections that are just gonna make that jostling, exacerbate that jostling. This means we probably need to know our race profile and know where we are in the race so you can plan accordingly. So some basic ideas on hills, if we can practice the better, it is a very skill-oriented activity. Getting stronger across the board can help, but especially in some of those accessory muscles that we don't often address. And then getting faster, doing our speed work. All of those are great ways to make some improvements on hills. Now, if you have any questions, shoot them into the chat and I'm or in the comments, and I will try and answer them before we close. There have been a couple in the group, so I'm going to answer those here before we close out. Um, first, from Ross, how does grade affect results? Would climbing 1,000 feet per mile grade be better than running at 2%, stair stepper, etc.? I answered most of that already, like it should mimic your race, right? The short version is you will improve at what you practice. If you're looking at a race, you should do your best to mimic what you're going to be doing. If you just want to get better at hills generally, it all will help you to some degree. It really matters, like specificity is the key here. And he also says, like, would squats in the gym help? Those seem to have the biggest impact for me on speed for some odd reason. And that likely means that your speed is pretty limited by overall strength. So if you're seeing a big improvement on your speed from squats, then strength is gonna be key for you. And that's the thing you shouldn't really miss. I'd also ask what kind of squats, right? So like, as in how, um, how narrow are your feet? Are we in a split stance? Are we in a wide stance? Are your heels elevated? All of that. Like all of those can make a big difference depending on you and your background. Specifically for hills, something like a more split stance, squat or lunges is probably gonna help target that inner portion of your quad and get more of that driving factor. If we're just looking at general speed work and explosiveness, a wider stance, really deep um, ass to grass squat is probably gonna be better. So it all is dependent on what you're trying to build and where your deficiencies are. Question from Esther, like what muscles improve uphill running? And again, talked about this already and it's a complicated answer. The big drivers are gonna be your quads and your glutes, and, but calves and tibialis anterior also play huge roles. We have to be stable, which means you'll want to be strong enough through your entire quadricep, not just like a part of it, right? Like your quad, as the name dictates, is four muscles. So exercises like split squats and lunges do a much better job at targeting your VMO, that muscle in the inner leg, like right above your knee, whereas like wider stance squats will do better at targeting the upper outer quad. And then if we get low enough, we'll actually get into hamstrings and glutes a little more. 
glutamide also plays a big role in stability, and most runners could use some level of improvement there. So some like sumo deadlifts or sumo squats wouldn't hurt you. I almost promise if you're in the like 90% of people. And one thing that I would ask is like, where do you feel it most in the 24 to 48 hours after you run hills? That could be a big indicator of what's going on, right? If you're super sore somewhere, that could either mean you're weak there or you're over leveraging something. So we need to kind of assess and see where you are and what's going on. There are some good tests you can do for this, but that's a topic for another time. It involves a lot, lot more. And then a bunch of questions from David in the group. First, these are not related to hills. These are just general questions for the question corner. So how many, like, does the number of bio breaks you, you have like indicate anything in regards to your fueling? And first answer is like, it's very dependent. Even in daily life, as a general rule, like digestion changes quite a bit. Most people should poop once a day, but that's the average. A more detailed idea that I could be referred to as like the rule of threes. For good daily digestion, you shouldn't poop less often than every three days, and you shouldn't poop more than like three times in a single day. Some of these things are gonna change a little bit, but that's a pretty good rule. Uh, racing is gonna further complicate this on so many fronts. For one, like highly digestible carbohydrates can mess with your digestion. They can act as a diuretic. Um, stress can also mess with digestion. There are way too many factors to give a good answer here. When I train people, we start practicing race nutrition like pretty much from the get-go. That way we have a better idea of how your stomach reacts and what you need. And this would be true for urination as well. Like y'all know I'm a large fan of a sweat test, but some people have a smaller bladder. And if you're following a sweat test, if, we, if that causes you to pee every 20 minutes, that's probably not ideal. So we need to work to dial in a strategy that really keeps you well hydrated, but doesn't put you into the trees 20 times over the course of a race. For some people that can be a really fine line. Another question was, is it okay to like go if you're feeling good at any point in a race or after a certain mileage, or should you always stick to a planned pace? Well, you should know what it feels like when you're over leveraging yourself. I don't care how good you feel, there will be a limit. You're gonna hit a power threshold where if you work harder than that, you will eventually burn out. Like they can graph it. So knowing that exact number is really difficult for an ultra because of the hills involved, but it will happen. So if you're feeling good, we can definitely push harder, but you should have an idea of when you're working on borrowed time and be able to pull that back so you can recover a little bit and not, not hit the wall. And then, I love this question, can your body be not used to being hydrated? If I'm terrible at hydrating in a normal day, will that mean my body doesn't want to be hydrated if I give it lots of water during a race? Yeah. <laughs> um, Hydration runs on a lot of factors, and your hormones play a big part. The hormones that really relate to hydration are ADH, which is also called vasopressin, and aldosterone. And they're on about a like 24-hour signaling delay from where you are. For example, fighters use this delay to their advantage when making weight. They will drink like one and a half to two gallons of water per day for a couple weeks in a... Um, leverage ADH and aldosterone to their level, and then about 24 hours before their weigh-in, they're going to cut their water intake significantly. But their body will still think that their water's really high for about a day, so they're just going to quickly sweat and urinate out 
everything. And they end up very dehydrated. And that's how they cut like 10 pounds the night before their fight or before their weigh-in. And so, yes, if you want to be really well hydrated on race day, you have to be well hydrated in your daily life. We need to have some stability here. You might be able to pick up a bit of the slack, but you're really putting yourself at a disadvantage. Further, you're negatively impacting your training. If you're dehydrated, you can't push as hard in your training. So we need to hydrate well, period. And then finally, like after a hundred miler, how quickly do you lose fitness? Is like a 50K or 50 miler reasonable? Four to six weeks later. When you finish a hundred miler, you are injured. Between your muscle tears and malnutrition and um, creating kinase levels, you are physically injured. So your first priority needs to be recovery. You will start to lose fitness after about a week of being completely sedentary. But you don't need to be completely sedentary during recovery. We can be, do some mobility work, you can take some walks, we can do some light band work, and as you start to feel better, we can go for these like shorter, easier runs. You should be good to get back into training about like one to two weeks after your race. But it could be longer depending on how much the race messed you up. It's very personally dependent. If you've never done 100, we don't really know, right? So it's not unreasonable to do a 50K or a 50 miler four to six weeks after 100. But you should be aware that you're just not gonna perform your best. Realistically, you can only peak a few times throughout your year and you're not gonna peak that close together. So while you'll very likely finish the race and probably have a lot of fun, just expect your performance to be negatively affected. Most coaches, myself included, will often have athletes do the opposite, right? They'll do a 50K um, or a 50 miler as part of a training block. And that's super useful, but we should also go into that training race knowing that it's a training race. Like we're not trying to perform our best. We're not trying to crush it. You can try to perform well, but we really shouldn't give it our all. That way we're not ending up in this recovery hole afterwards. This is why like we make race priorities in the first place. That's why we have our A races. That's all I have on that. Next, and then the last question from the chat is, from Tara, any thoughts on if hills both up and down beat the crap out of my toes? Yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, that makes a lot of sense. And I can say this from personal experience too. So the ups and downs definitely like beat the crap out of my feet. Some of that is because like, I'm still figuring out what shoe fits me really well, and, like what size that is. So if your feet are like sliding, um, forward every time you land on a downhill and your toes are getting smashed into the front of your shoe, it's going to beat the crap out of your toes. And then on the uphill, if we're really having a lot of push off with our toes, like some of that could come from poor ankle flexion. Like if your ankle doesn't flex very well, you're going to end up on your toes a lot more. So you're going to be using that foot and using your toes to climb a lot more. And at some point, we're going to end up with a degree that is unrealistic for anybody, right? Like, we're not going to land flat-footed on a 45-degree incline, right? Like, it's just not going to happen. But if we have a little more ankle flexion, a little more mobility in the ankle, we can get more of that full foot drive. So we're not getting quite as much of that on the uphill. But yeah, it makes a lot of sense that hills would beat the crap out of your toes. Yeah, further, especially if it's rocky or rooty or whatever, if we're having this like constant drive and we're slamming into things, makes a bunch of sense. All right, well, that is all I have for today. Hope you found that helpful. If you have any other questions, pop them in the chat and I'd be happy to answer them after this. There will be a replay of this up on the podcast soon. And I hope, hope you have a good rest of your night and I'll talk to y'all later. See ya.
Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian, and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.